Well, we are on week two of distinguished people, distinguished people. And uh, I don't know, watch, if you missed it, I don't ever really say this, but if you, if you missed it last time, watch, watch the message from last week. And it really just, it's, 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 the, it's the heart of your pastor and it's the heart of COC. It, our banner's back there, truth, family, and presence. Those are, those are three high values for us. We value truth. God's word is God's word. It's unchanging. We value family. We value, you know, the gathering together. We value families, even when they don't listen. We love them anyways, and we value that. We value the family of God, the family of God, Rick, being together here, meeting together, hurting together, crying together, laughing together, rejoicing together, growing together. We value that. And then the last of the banners, and not lastly on the list, but we value presence. We value, and Stephen talked about it already this morning. We value God's presence. And so you can get a you can get a sense of our heart for that if you watch the mess. If you didn't hear that last week, why do you? How come you guys are like that as a church? How come you do this? That will answer a lot of the questions. Like that's the why behind a lot of what we do is we value the presence of God above almost anything else. We value that, and so it's so important. And we're we're meant we're meant to be carriers of the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Well, let's read about it. So we've been reading. Uh, we read this last week. We're going to read it again. It's this story. Oh, it's not a story. It's an account in Exodus chapter 33. And it says, now Moses used to take a tent, and we're just going to read through it fast because we already read it last week. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, and that was God's representative presence in, in those days, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Then Moses said to him, If your presence, say presence, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. And here's, here's the crux of, of this passage and what is the title of our message. What else will distinguish or separate or, or point to a difference between me and your people to separate us from all the other people on the face of the earth? Uh, and that's where we're going to stop on the, the scriptures there. We're talking about the distinguishing difference that the presence of God. See, it's one thing just to say we're believers, but to actually carry the presence of God within. And we know that because the scripture says, we, we hit it last week, God's everywhere. So where is God? Okay, where is God? Everywhere. Right. So that's the omnipresence of God. That's one of the immutable characteristics of God. It's one of his characteristics that he's everywhere. He fills everything. But there's also something called the manifest presence. It's where God shows up in a way that is, is distinct from five minutes earlier. Now something happened. We sense his presence. Things happen in his presence. Hearts are changed. Stephen talked about it over and over again today, right? Uh, lives are transformed in the presence of God. And that's what Moses is saying. What's going to be the difference 
between us and the rest of the world. And he said, it's got to be the presence of God. If you don't go with us, then don't send us. It's got to be the presence of God. You guys know, ever heard of a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer? He was a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor, and uh, he was from the kind of the late 1800s to the mid-1900s. He says this. He wrote a couple books that are really amazing. He said, the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. At the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children, listen to this line, waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence. He's saying that, yeah, God is everywhere, but there's more, there's more. Say there's more. There's more, and, that, and if, if, if I want to just challenge you with anything, it's that there's more. Like, you can be walking in more. Like, it's great to love Jesus, and that's what we want. That we're calling for hearts that are cultivated to serve and love Jesus. But his presence can fill our lives, not just on a little bit for a Sunday morning, but throughout our weeks and throughout our lives. And so Tozer goes on to say this. He says, that type of Christianity, which happens to now be the Vogue, we would say en vogue today, but back in, in his day, he said the Vogue, knows this presence only in theory. It fails to stress the Christian's privilege of present realization. According to its teachings, we are in the presence of God positionally, and nothing is said about the need to experience that presence actually. And that's what these messages are about. We, hey, we know God is everywhere. I know that he listened, brother. Steve, Steve, Holy Spirit's in me. I hope he's in you. Right? Right? You love Jesus and he's in us, right? True story. It's absolute. We've been sealed. We've been marked. We've been, been we, we can continue to be filled. You know, that's a whole other issue or whatever. We know God's in us. But what, what Tozer and what I'm saying is, there's more. We can realize a greater awareness of his presence in our lives. So I had, last time I, last Sunday, I played just a little four-minute video of the Asbury, of a guy who went to, a pastor who went to the Asbury Revival, and I thought I'd throw in a couple nuggets of some other revivals today, because we're talking about the presence of God. We're talking about the manifest presence. We're talking about God showing up in a way that's, that's more than just Oh, I guess I went to church today, in a way that is realized in our lives. So we're going to talk one slide on, or two slides on the Welsh Revival. This happened in 1904 and 1905. Powerful, powerful move of God that happened in Wales. And it, from the Bible College of Wales, they say this, the beginnings of the revival could be traced to church services where ministers like Joseph Jenkins and Seth Joshua sought to share their passion and their encounters with the Lord. Simultaneously, long meetings were held to seek the Lord's presence and empowerment, and many people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Over the course of less than a year, less than a year, the Lord moved in Wales and the rest of the United Kingdom, capturing tens and hundreds of thousands of souls for the kingdom of God. You think the presence of God doesn't matter? Now, this is, uh, it's not fair. We're not in a revival right now, but boy, I wouldn't mind seeing that, Right? So, I'm, I'm, but I, but I want to whet your appetite. I'm throwing in some revival nuggets just to show us what's possible, to show us that where we're living now, like, like God can do things in the in with His presence in such power. So this is a a, 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 a actual report from someone 
the fourth and last meeting we, ten- we attended in Arbertillery <laughs> was in a Welsh chapel, almost holy in Welsh, but full of holy unction and heavenly fire. The consciousness of God's presence was overwhelming. Listen to this. And there was no need to press souls forward. They shouted out from different parts of the chapel, I will come to Jesus. And then they'd give their name. John Henry, 4993 Whale Street. And the minister wrote it down. God had complete control. The presence of God was so overwhelming in their services. They, they had no advertising. They didn't have sale bills. There was no internet. There was no TV. There was no radio. There was nothing to advertise these things going on. And tens of thousands of people came from all over, even from America, across the ocean in 1904. And people would fill these services, and the presence of God would be so intense that people would just cry out, oh, come to Jesus, without anyone asking them. And they would shout out their name and address. We're trying to get your address for a newsletter. (laughs) (laughs) We need more presence of Jesus, and it's available. That's the thing. It's available. So then let's talk about... uh, Sheriff B. from Utica, New York. (laughs) I read uh, Charles Finney's book, uh, one of his books, a couple months ago, and all of the names he would shorten up. And so you'll see, and then we'll talk about Mr. S in just a little bit here. But these are some of the accounts. When Charles Finney would preach, he would go across kind of the upper northeast, uh, like uh, the Finger Lakes region of New York, uh, and then just touch down into uh, what's the one on the east, Pittsburgh, or whatever one is over there. Um, Just some power that started a Bible college. But I don't know how many hundred thousand people got saved. It was, inc- it was, just, it was mind-boggling. In a godless United States, in about 1824-ish, somewhere in that range, I think it was. 18, early 1820s. So, so Tozer was a little bit later. This is a little bit earlier now. And we're talking about uh, Charles Finney. And uh, he write, this is from his book. And so he's writing about just some, just some things that are happening. He's just going around preaching and things are blowing up. And uh, crazy. So he says this from the works of Charles Finney. He said, oh, that's, that's right. We got to talk about Sheriff B. Sorry. I, I didn't want to have like 500 slides. So there's this sheriff who wasn't a believer. And uh, he was in, in Utica. And he was in this town and served. A, he stayed at this hotel or whatever. And uh, everyone knew that he didn't serve the Lord. Well, his heart was kind of being stirred. And he was wrestling with God. And so he ends up coming at a long coat. And he, so he comes to one of Finney's services. And uh, said that he went forward in one of the services and just knelt down by the altar and he wrapped the coat around himself. And it just made this huge impact on everybody. And so now we're picking up the story from there after he left. So the sheriff didn't, didn't say, I'll serve Jesus, but he leaves, leaves the, the service that night. So that's, that's where this starts. So this is the sheriff saying this. This is an account of later on recounting. So the sheriff is saying to himself, my soul, will you consent to this? Will you accept Christ and give up sin and give up yourself? And will you do it now? He said he had thrown, him, he had thrown himself in the agony of his mind upon his bed. He made this point with himself and conjured his soul to accept now and here. <laughs> this is written a long time ago. We don't quite talk like that today. But, but so this is the sheriff's. We talked about this morning about hearts wrestling with God. That's a picture of it. He's wrestling with God in this moment. Are you going to, like... Come on, self, are you going to accept Jesus or not? Are you going to give up your, li- your life of sin? Are you going to give up your stubbornness and accept Christ here and now? 
Right there, he said, his distress left him so suddenly that he fell asleep and did not wake for several hours. When he did awake, he found his mind full of peace and rest in Christ. And from this moment, he became an earnest worker for Christ among his acquaintances. The hotel at which he boarded was that at that time kept by a Mr. S. <laughs> the spirit took a powerful hold in that house. Mr. S himself was soon made a subject of prayer, and he became converted, and a large number of his family and of his boarders. Indeed, that largest hotel in town became a center of spiritual influence, and many were converted there. Now, here's, here's the point, this next slide. The stagecoaches, the stages, as they passed through, stopped at the hotel, and so powerful was the impression in the community, the, the move of God, that I heard of several cases of persons that just stopped for a meal or to spend a night being powerfully convicted and converted before they left the town. Indeed, both in this place and in Rome, the, not Rome, but Rome, New York, in, Rome, in Utica and in Rome, it was a common remark that nobody could be in the town or pass through it without being aware of the presence of God, that a divine influence seemed to pervade the place and the whole atmosphere to be instinct with a divine life. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about you showing up, and we're glad you're here, but you're carrying Jesus, and now Jesus is here, right? Uh, Shauna was just sharing that this morning, like not really saying stuff, but yet just just the presence of Jesus that she carries is like stirring hearts and hunger in people. And that's what I want us to experience. So let's talk about experiencing the presence of God as, according to Moses here. So we're going to go back to those scriptures for just a second. And we're going to get a couple things right out of there. It says that now Moses used to uh, take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at their entrances to their tents and watching Moses until he entered the tent. <laughs> That's really intense. Dad joke right there. So what do we learn, what do we learn from this? We learn that there's a tent. <laughs> there's obviously a tent there. So here's, here's, if we're talking about our own lives today, 2024, how do I experience this? Isn't this still, it's still not going to be a, a experiencing God 101. We're, we're not going to tell you just exactly, but we're going to pick some stuff out of Moses' story here and learn some principles. What do we learn from this? We learn that if you want to experience the presence of God, you need to set up the tent. You got to do the work. You know, if I was the leader of those grumbly Israelites and God had spoken to me face to face, I'd be like, I'm pretty special. I don't need to go. That's hard work to set up. They did not go to Cabela's, right? They didn't go to an auction sale, Steve. I just I only get to pick on you when you're here, so I, it's pretty much all Steve today. <laughs> and get the fanciest, latest tent that someone's selling on an estate sale. No, they erected that tent themselves with poles that they probably carved out themselves and ropes that they probably weaved themselves, right? Some work, do you see what I mean? Some work went into setting up the tent. That's what I'm saying. And if I was like Moses, I'd be like, God meets with me. I'll probably just kind of chill out here today and God will show up where I'm at. That's not how it worked. 
he said, you know what? I'm going to go through the work and I'm going to set up a place where I can meet with God. I'm going to do the work. Just to show you once again from the scriptures, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it. And a lot of us today, we're pretty excited about the cloud. Pillar of fire, come on. Jehovah, hallelujah. Pitching tents, well, there's a, probably a team for that. Okay, let's go on to something else. Dude, you got to pitch the tent. Well, someone will take care of it. Hallelujah, we love being in church. Let's go pitch a tent. Oh, I'm just going to hang here and drink coffee because there's a cloud coming. I can just I know God's going to do something. But you need to, if you want to experience God in your life, you've got to pitch the tent. I'll just go to church. That's, it'll be good. You've got you to get outside the camp and you've got you to pitch the tent. You've got to do the work. Listen to this. Some people are content to live off of other people's experience and intimacy with God. Some of us, we love, we love coming to church because I can feel the presence of God. How, how have you pitched the tent? Are you carrying the presence of God? Oh, yeah, brother. I have the Holy Spirit's in me, too. <laughs> yeah, that's not what I mean. I don't mean positionally. I mean experientially. Have you pitched your tent this week? Have you done the work that you need to do to create a space in your life for God to show up? Mm, uh, I came Wednesday night, too. <laughs> that's, that's good. But have you shifted the things that need to shift? Have you gathered up the poles? Have you folded up the canvas? Have you walked outside the camp? Have you made the trek? Have you, like, we're speaking allegorically here. Don't go, like, actually to Cabela's after this and get tense. This is, this is, this is a colloquialism, right? And so we haven't necessarily done the work in our own hearts and lives but we love the presence of God, so well, I'll come to church because God's there. That's true. But there's a price to be paid for that. There's a price to be paid for God to show up here. Yeah, I know Jesus paid it all on the price. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. He did. But then he gave us stewardship over the rest of it. He's like, all right, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Oh, yeah, that verse is in there, isn't it? Yeah, there's all kinds of them like that. Like, I like the part where Jesus just does all the work. I do too, but that's not how we work. We need to orchestrate our own hearts, our own souls, our own lives, getting rid of distractions, getting our mind in the right place to enter in, press in. Remember that one quote from Tozer? We need to press into that conscious awareness of his presence. Okay. I want to talk about, and this, uh, promise me that you're not going to see this as a guilt thing, because that's not what I'm trying to, I'm not trying to, no one's getting bashed, no one's getting picked on, where like the next three slides here could be convicting, maybe not, it might be great, it might be wonderful, I'm not, this is not a, I'm not sour, I'm not, I'm hoping to give you some reference, and maybe you'll be like, whoa, pastor, I don't like it, I'm, I think I'm in this category, then let's get out of that category, that's kind of what this is, it's like a, it's like a doorway for you to walk into something deeper, not a doorway for you to walk into condemnation. That's what these next slides are. So I was just thinking about kind of some general classifications of Christ follower, of Christians, let's say Christians, who, uh, who maybe are comfortable with someone else setting up the tent. So I think you got, first of all, you got uh, conference Christianity. And I love conferences. In fact, our youth conference 
It got canceled this year. We are so sad. We love Kingdom Youth. And so now we're creating a conference. And when I say me, I mean them guys. <laughs> so we've got, I think, right, the tent people, right. <laughs> so I think we've got, I think right now, three churches and uh, probably going to be in Brookings. We don't know all the details yet, but we're like, we're like we want a conference. We want a place for these kids to encounter God. We want a conference for our teens. So don't think, oh, pastor doesn't like conferences. He, he preached on people that go to conferences. They're bad. They're of the devil. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying that you've got a group of people. You love Jesus. Man, you got your banners, right? You're the shofar people. Right? Right? You're just subscribed to the Elijah list, right? I mean, you got it all going on. You just, you're right in there. But then there has to be another conference because I need the presence of God in my life. Hmm. I'm not against... Is pastor against conferences? I love conferences. I love that environment. I, we, we always take our youth. I love taking adults there. We go to conferences because something happens there where there's a greater swell of impact and, and speakers coming. Like, it's amazing. But if I'm relying on the conference for my juiced-up spirituality, ooh, that makes for a pretty miserable two months in between conferences, doesn't it? And here's, here, like, here's a discussion that we have had, and it finally crystallized for me when I was putting this message together. For decades, and I'm being serious with this, for decades now, since the 90s, we've been taking kids to conferences. We've been taking teens there. And the number of conversations that I had with teens afterwards, like their lives was transformed. I mean, they're coming to the altar, and we've, we've seen it all. I mean, we've seen three hours of spontaneous worship with 4,000 teens in Minneapolis at a, at a Choir of the Fire conference when the band just set their instruments down and walked away because the, the, they had speakers lined up for the rest of the night, and the, the audience, the, the youth groups wouldn't quit singing. Man, I get wrecked even. I just haven't thought about that moment for a while. And I can, I can list off the names of the people who were, were get, I mean, snot running down. Three hours, like two hours and 50 some minutes, I think it was. Spontaneously, they wouldn't quit singing. They wouldn't quit worshiping Jesus. And these kids are weeping and bawling. They're, you know, we've, we've, seen, we've seen other, you know, at camp and different things. I mean, pornography laid out on the altar, drugs, piles of drugs. And there are people like, what do we do with these? I don't know. <laughs> right? Just the Lord's convicting our hearts. So we get home from that. And dozens of conversations, probably dozens and dozens over the years, of kids now in depression, because they're like, I just wish it was like it was at camp. And so many times we've thought of not going, but so much good happens there. And what, what crystallized in my mind as I was getting this, I'm, I'm like, it's because they got to do the work. You got to pitch the tent. Like, we can have this experience after camp, after conference, after, after this big Sunday morning at COC. We can have the presence of God but I can't pay people to do that for me. See, when you're at camp, when you're at a conference, there's, you know, our camp this summer, transformed lives. But there was hundreds and hundreds of people praying for that. There was dozens and dozens just from our church, and there was, I don't know, six or seven or eight churches involved with that. 
Hundreds of people praying for that, fasting for that, interceding for that, pressing in for that. Okay, that's great, but then what do I do on Monday when I get home? I got to learn how to pitch a tent, don't I? Because I don't want to be a conference Christian. Well, I'm just going to show up at COC. I love how the worship team brings in the presence of God there. Baloney, Batman. <laughs> we play music and we worship our guts out, but who brings the presence of Jesus here is us. It's you guys. And that's why we're always cheerleading. Like, Come on. You don't know what you're missing. Sing louder. Sing it again. Do another song. Because we know if you just get past your distractedness for a moment, you're going to be like, whoa, God's here. So even in, this isn't a camp, this isn't a conference, but conference Christianity can settle in even at our own church. I like going to that church. They really worship there. Okay, how about you? Like they really love God's presence there. Okay, how about you? Because it, you don't rely on us. Don't rely on us to pitch the tent for you. That's what I'm saying. Second one is complacent Christianity. Ooh, this one gets uglier. That's the people that are like, I kind of like this church. I got good coffee and good donuts. <laughs> Pastor's funny once in a while. He's, he's kind of dumb. But he says really weird things, and his wife yells at him, and people laugh. I like that. It's kind of long there, but I, I like that, though. Well, they really worship and press into Jesus. Yeah, I don't know, that's kind of weird. I don't know. That's like it's good donuts, though. Like you don't even really care if the presence of God is here or not, unless it directly affects you. Oh, my shoulder was really hurting, and they prayed for me. And Look at this. It's all feeling better now. Yep. God's really good, huh? Well, I don't know. Church is pretty good. That's what I'm telling you. Like, you don't really care. Like, you kind of like, who doesn't like being around Stan, right? I mean, you know, of course. Sure, I'll go there because Stan's there, Rainy's there. I mean, it's just like, right, rock star, come on. Okay, but is your heart on fire for God? <laughs> Hope not. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but that sounds scary. You know what I mean? We're complacent. We just, I'm not even, I'm not even at the conference Christianity level. I just don't even really care if God's presence is here or not. Just make sure we're out for the Vikings game and whatever. And I'm sure there's nobody here. Yeah, right. <laughs> on a day like this, Vikings ain't playing today. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Pastor, you remember when everyone in the church started hating you? Yeah. <laughs> I remember that day. Oh, you thought that one was bad. The last one is cultural Christianity. You're, you, you, go to, you go to church because you're, you're not a Buddhist, or I'm not an atheist, so I guess I go to church. I would say we're using Christianity pretty generously on that one. You, you might not even, and this is not an attack. I'm just saying you need to know Jesus. You need to have a personal relationship. If you're, if you're watching online, this is not, I'm, not, I'm not picking on you. I'm, saying, I'm inviting you. If you're just going to church, you don't even know why you're going there. You're going there because you're not an atheist. Have you ever accepted Jesus into your heart? Have you ever had a personal relationship with him? Have you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ and asked him to be Lord and Savior of your life and wash your sins away? Because that's Christianity. And cultural Christianity, you're, Christ, you're Christian because I'm not something else. I guess I am. I'm in name only, but I'm not really following Jesus. And that person, they don't know it. They long for the presence of God, but they don't know it. 
Their hearts are broken, but they don't know why. So you got to, uh, above all of these is, uh, I, don't even, I don't have a term for it, but it's uh, tent makers, tent pitchers. People that are willing to pay the price and walk in the presence of God. So talking back, back again about Sheriff B from Utica, here's a, here's a little paragraph at the end of that story. I mean, right? Remember, do you remember that? That was only a few slides ago. Are you still with me? Right? The presence of God when the stagecoaches would come through the town, you, like no one in town, you can't escape the presence of God. You can't drive through that town without feeling the presence of God. Someone's got to pay the price for that. Finney says this, these marvelous occurrences were all reported in Utica. A woman in that town was also given such a burden of prayer for the ungodly in the city that she prayed for two days and nights incessantly until her strength was overcome by exhaustion, a literal travail of soul. It was God's spirit preparing the way for the coming of his servant. She was making a tent. It's like, man. I'm going to build a place for the presence of God to come. It wasn't, an, if, you're, if you're still not catching on, it wasn't a literal tent in Utica, New York in 1924. It, it was her saying, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to lean into this because I want God to show up. There's so many heathens in our city. And you know what? I've tried yelling at all of them, and that didn't work at all. So I'm going to do something different. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to spend myself on asking the Lord if he would do something. Well, I don't know if you need to get that carried, that carried away. See, God's everywhere. Right. But she knew that wasn't enough. She knew there needed to be a manifest presence of God to capture these hearts. Okay, real quickly. Second thing, you got to set up the tent. And then second thing that Moses did, you got to get outside the camp. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. Why can't you just pitch it right in the camp? You know what? Sometimes we've got well-meaning people in our life that end up getting used of the enemy to keep us just distracted enough so that we don't become tent makers, tent builders, right? And I'm not saying get rid of people in your life, because you know what Moses did? Then he went back into the community, and they had to cover his face because of the glory of God on him, Right? He walked around with a veil on because there was so much glory of God radiating from us. He didn't get outside the camp, stay outside the camp. People are dumb and evil. No, he knew that for a moment he needed to quiet all the other voices that were well-meaning and maybe even right, but he knew more than right voices he needed to be in the presence of God. Sometimes you just need to get out of the camp. Sometimes you need to just, sometimes you need to shut your Facebook off, turn the TV off, Put your phone down. Shut your computer off. Get with the Lord and say, all right, God, for the next 48 hours, I'm listening for you, right? I need to get outside the camp for a minute. I'm going back. We're going back to work, and I'm going to be right in the middle of people again, but I want to be worried. I want, I want him to be like, whoa, put a paper towel over that guy's face. He's glowing, right? I want to be carrying the glory of the Lord because I want to meet with the presence of God. I'll do the work. I'll do the work. I'll organize my life in a way that I make a space for the Lord to show up. God, let your presence show up. Okay. The last one. You need to ignite your soul for God. And I get this picture of Moses. These are, you know, what, four or five slides of this that we read in, in Exodus chapter 33. 
this part here. Moses said to him, listen, he's talking to the Lord. I mean, like when God would show up on the mountain, anything that touched the mountain died. Okay? This is not, this is not, God is my best friend, right? Like we sang at VBS, which he is. That's, that's not the expression of the Lord that Moses is familiar with. Right? He's familiar with the mountain shaking and, <laughs> right? Touch the mountain, you die. It doesn't matter what it is. Because the presence of God is so intense and holy and powerful. That's the God that Moses is meeting with face to face. And Moses has the audacity to kind of challenge God and say, I am so desperate for your presence that if you don't go with us, then don't send us from here. I was like, dude, you know who you're talking to? I get it. Smoking mountains, dead goats all around. I get it. But you know what? I'd rather be a dead goat if you don't go with us. I'm not going without you. And at the end, Moses said, now show me your glory. God's like, hold You've been talking with me face to face. And he's like, I... I don't care if I die, it's not enough. Show me more. I want to be in your presence. I want to know more of you. There's a fire inside of me to know more of you that cannot be quenched with anything but more of you. God, I need more of you. Go back to Tozer again. He says, that fiery urge that drove men like Robert Murray McShane, hold on, let me just, hold on. Robert Murray McShane, that's even earlier. That's, uh, he ended, uh, it was like early 1800s, I think. He only lived to be like 27 or something like that. And he preached with such a fire. He was a little Scottish preacher. And this is in like the early, early 1800s. When he died, he had impacted so many lives, 7,000 people came to his funeral. The fire of God burned in this young man, died when he was in his late 20s. And A.W. Tozer says that fiery urge that drove men like Robert Murray McShane is wholly missing. And the present generation of Christians measures itself by this imperfect rule. Lowly contentment takes the place of burning zeal. Oh, case that doesn't hurt enough, let me read it again. Lowly contentment. I'm good. I went to church today. Lowly contentment takes the place of what should be there burning zeal. We're satisfied to rest in our judicial possessions, and for the most part, we bother ourselves very little about the absence of personal experience. He's saying, you talk about God a lot, and that's good. Is there a tangible presence of God in your life? Is there the fruit to show that Jesus is walking and living and breathing inside of you? I need a couple helpers today. How about Avery and Aspen? (laughs) You got to come this way so we're on screen. All right. So uh, these kiddos uh, have had some incredible experiences with with God and uh, I've had some downtimes and had some struggles, uh, but just God has been just stirring our hearts here at COC and been doing things behind the scenes. And so last night, as we're in the living room, as often we do, uh, we heard about 
something that was going on. And so give me give me kind of the synopsis of last Wednesday night. So this is this is Sunday today, so whatever that Saturday, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday. So, you know, four days ago, five days ago, whatever that was. Okay. Um, I was driving home from church and I was having worship music playing in my car and the lyrics were really just really hitting I don't know they were really making me a very emotional person (laughs) so there was one part it was for every morning for every open door I call you faithful and I just want to thank you Lord for every mountain for every time you've brought me through I call you faithful Faithful, and I just want to thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness, for how you never turned away. I call you faithful. I can't say faithful. Faithful, and I just want to thank you, Lord, for your salvation. You paid the price I couldn't pay. I call you faithful, and I just want to thank you, Lord. There's more. Uh, (laughs) I'll end up reading the whole song, but it's fine. For the promises you've kept and every need you've met, Lord, I'm so grateful you were with me every step. And I never will forget when I think of how you've blessed me, how your hand has never let me go. Never let me go. You have been so good to me. God, I can't believe how you love me. What a friend you have been. Okay. So. So, that's a good song. I was, right, great. It's a great song, good lyrics, but I was so moved by it. I was probably not focusing on the road. <laughs> Sorry. My... I was holding my hands out, closing my eyes. It was very unsafe. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Extremely unsafe. But it got to the point, so the way to my house, there's an exit where you can stop. So I got off the exit and I stopped, and I just had to put my car in park and just like, because I just couldn't even describe what I was feeling. It was to the point where I was sobbing, weeping. I couldn't even look, grab the wheel, do anything really. So I let the, then I was like, I should probably drive, get home on time, you know? Like, not like I get home on time anyways, but. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So I'm driving home and I just get, filled with this overwhelming amount of joy like I couldn't even I could have probably ran home like I even run who cares (laughs) but like it's an analogy but so I was just experiencing so much joy so then back it up a little bit I was driving and it literally felt like God was in the passenger seat like right there the entire time so or this all circles around, is at, we have prayer night at Wednesday night. And Shauna... Yeah, so so prior to this, so this is Wednesday night. So prior to this, I mean, you probably haven't been uh, maybe like on a spiritual high, maybe like in the best spot of your ever in, light, in your life. Probably Kinda, not. I don't know. Not really. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> it was getting there, but... <laughs> so Shauna was like, you can pray for friends yourself whatever this is Wednesday night before yeah. or during during the service Wednesday night. yes so we're all sitting and I'm like well I might as well pray for myself 
probably should do that. So what I prayed for myself was that I set a fire in my heart and let it, how did I word it? To let it burn, start burning more. And then that happened. And, uh, and you don't have to share it, but just as you kind of prayed that, God just dropped a word in your heart, and you, you knew exactly. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to share I, if you don't I want to. I knew I was going to forget something. Okay. So then I was still driving on the way home, and then the word forgiveness popped in my head. Just on the way home. Isn't it amazing? How, and, and did you have to ask God what that meant, or you probably knew, didn't you? Yeah, I knew. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how God can just... One little nudge, and we know what he's talking about because we're wrestling with him. And uh, every single one of us, we have those moments. And your prayer to be on fire for God, and, and God highlights something that needs to happen in your heart for that to do for that to work. And so, Aspen, what do you got to say about this whole thing? Well, on my way to work every morning, I it's like a what eight minute drive or something like that in. And so I take that time, listen to worship music, kind of just get my heart set for the day, and then pray. And I have, you know, my prayer list of people that I pray for. And so probably for the last two months for sure, my prayer for Avery just has been the exact words. God set a fire in her soul and just feeding the flames (laughs) and she called me that night and I just bawled. I'm like, oh my goodness, that is just so incredible, like like proof that prayer works. <laughs> you know, just something like crying out to God, going, Lord, you hear my heart, you hear my cry, and this is what I want to happen. And, you know, and then you end up, literally speaking the same exact words that I prayed for you like yeah Yeah. so tell me the conversation about this is kind of like camp but tell me that and then your response to that Um, I was on the call with Aspen and I was saying this is better than camp like coming back from camp because it's not like a conference where you have to rely on however you worded it. I don't know. But Yeah, you said it's like camp, but I think it's even better. It's even better because it comes from just you and not from being at a conference. So what was your response to that? (laughs) Oh, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, but like this, you didn't have to go to an event to have it happen. You made, like, you prayed for the fire to be set in your soul, yeah, yeah. and it happened. You yeah. did it yourself. Yeah. Like, you made the decision to do it. It's almost like our little story from the scripture today, isn't it? You did the work, set yourself apart, you prayed, like, God, ignite this fire in me. And Aspen was doing some of the work as well, but you decided, all right, I'm going to meet with the Lord myself. And you said yes to the the things. And it was number three, to ignite the fire in my heart. That was your prayer. And that's been your prayer for her. And you didn't need a conference, right? You didn't need... Oh, I'm sorry, no. Yeah. So I just thought when they shared that story, I'm like, 
you guys don't even know what I'm preaching about tomorrow. I'm like, this really fits. Like, really, really, like, you are, like, the object lesson for the day that you can experience the presence of Jesus more than you've ever experienced, and you don't have to go. And we love, go to the concerts, concerts, conferences, concerts, go to the worship nights, go to the events, go to the camps. We love that. But more than that, we love you to do the work, pitch the tent, meet with the Lord yourself, because he's more than willing to meet with you. You'll experience the presence of God like you did at camp or at a conference when someone else was paying the price. You can do the work and pay the price for your own self and let Jesus wash your soul with his love and his goodness and his amazingness. Amen? Thank you, girls, for sharing. Give them a hand. Just set it down there. Perfect. Yeah. Let's just do one more slide and we're done. Dr. Michael Brown, he was from the Brownsville Revival, his book, The Fire That Never Sleeps. He says, meetings and events are, meant, are, are means to accomplish an end. And the end is you carrying the power and presence of God into your unique sphere of influence, wherever that may be. God's looking to release his burning ones into every arena of society, not to overthrow, but to serve as his ambassadors. And Dr. Michael Brown, we've heard him preach in person multiple times, and, and uh, he's been a steward of revival and, and the presence of Jesus. And so this, my challenge for today is, man, like, don't rely on someone else got to do the work. We don't like hearing that. Like, can I go, can I, can I read on the internet, like, five quick ways to be in the presence of the Lord? Like, can I just, can I bypass some of the tent setting up stuff? Is there an app for that? Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we like the easy way around in America, but you've got to do the work. Create a space in your heart and say, God, all right, teach me what to do. Show me. Like Stephen said, little gentle prunings. That makes it, creates a bigger space. We're not going to get into all the things you can do, but just setting the precedent that, Every one of you is called to walk with God and to be filled with more of his presence and to meet with him face to face. You made it through. Good job. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your presence today. Thank you for the work that you're doing. We pray that you would move in our midst, Lord, as not just in church, but in our homes, in our vehicles, at our workplaces, in our schools, as we're on our walks at night, as we're on dates, as we're doing dishes, as we're working outside, that your presence would invade our lives in such a powerful way that people would know that we've walked with Jesus. We just pray for your blessing on us today. In Jesus' name, amen.